0: Now, here's the question we'll start with tonight. Do you ever feel like you're in a rut spiritually? Ever had that feeling? And maybe you, you have that feeling right now. It's like, well, yeah, that's, that's where I am. Uh, maybe you've said or thought something like this Lord, I don't honestly know what to do right now. I don't know how to get out of this. I'm just kind of in a rut. And the strange part is, and, and I know from personal experience, let me confess to you, I know from personal experience. The strange part is, if you're in a rut spiritually, you're likely still doing most of the things you were doing when you were walking close with the Lord. It's not like you stopped doing those things. The problem is, you're doing them, but there doesn't seem to be the power there used to be. There doesn't seem to be the peace that you used to have. You, you haven't stopped coming to church. You haven't stopped reading your Bible though it doesn't seem to speak to you like it once did. You haven't stopped praying, but sometimes it kind of feels like God stopped listening. And you still believe in God. You still believe the gospel. None of that has changed, but almost like something has changed in you. Somehow you're not moving forward anymore in your walk with the Lord. Uh, you're not progressing. You, you're just stuck. Have you, ever been, have you ever had your car stuck like in the snow or in the mud, and you're just sitting there spinning the wheels? And it's so frustrating, isn't it? Because you push the gas down harder, and what happens? Tires just spin faster, but are you going anywhere? No, you just, and sometimes it even gets worse. And when that happens spiritually, it's very frustrating. It's like I'm trying, and, I, and sometimes I'm even trying harder, and it just doesn't feel like I'm moving anywhere. If I've just described to you, I think something that Jesus said might help you, and it's found in Mark chapter four. If you want to open God's Word to Mark chapter four, I was reading this passage in my personal quiet time, and and came across this, and something grabbed my attention. Something just kind of captured me as I read this text. And before we read verses twenty four and twenty five, which will be our uh, passage that we're going to be studying, before we get into that, let me give you the context of this text. First of all, in chapter 4, verse 1, tell me, and, and I want you to your participation tonight. So in chapter 4, verse 1, describe what's happening in verse 1. Uh, you have to say it a little louder. Jesus was teaching. Where was he teaching? By the lake. Now, what lake would that be referring to? Sea of Galilee. So he's teaching by the Sea of Galilee, and what happens? A large crowd gathers around him. He's very popular. A large crowd gathers around him, so much so that what does he have to do? has to get in a boat and cast out a little bit to get away from the crowd so that he can address everyone. That's chapter 4, verse 1. So we know that Jesus is teaching, and I think if, let me go back and read the text myself. I think it says, let me turn to it. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he he sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And in verse 2, it says that he taught them many things by what? By parables. Now, parables are simply stories about ordinary life that illustrate spiritual truth. So he's telling these stories, and usually a parable is not something that literally happened. It's just a story. It's a story about everyday life that illustrates spiritual truth. And so here's Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching from the boat, and he's teaching them parables. Now, if your Bible has uh, headings in it for chapter 4, kind of an outline type thing, uh, you'll notice that it says that chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, is the parable of what? All right, so let's look at this. So chapter 4, 1 through 20, is the parable, what's called as the parable of the sower, or we could say the sower and the seed. Very popular parable, very well-known parable, parable of the sower and the seed. And then when we come to chapter 4, verse 21 to 25, this is our text, so we'll talk about that later. Then there's another parable that follows this one. It's verses 26 through 29. And this is a parable of what? The growing seed. And then in verses 30 through 32, chapter 4, 30 through 32, it's another parable, and what is that parable? The mustard seed. All right, and then it says at the end of that, let me read verse uh, 33, skipping down to chapter 4, verse 33, here's what it says. With many similar parables or stories, Jesus spoke, word, spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And then in verse 35, the scene totally changes. And, in, and by the way, that's my text for Sunday morning is verse 35. So what we're doing tonight is kind of laying the groundwork for what I'm going to be talking about Uh, Sunday morning but here's what I want you to see in verses 1 through 34 Jesus is using parables to teach something now the context is very very important right in the middle of these parables about the sower and the seed and the growing seed and the mustard seed we find our text our text is right in the middle of Jesus's teaching put this on your notes right in the middle of Jesus' teaching about God's Word and God's kingdom. So, when you read this parable, it's a parable about God's Word. And when you read these parables about the growing seed and the mustard seed, it's a parable about God's kingdom. The God's kingdom is like, he says. And so it's interesting where our text appears. Here's one of the reasons you should always look at the context when you're reading Scripture. And not just pull out two verses. Because if you were to just pull out a couple of verses from this text without looking at the context, you might have a hard time understanding it or you might misapply it. And so if we put our text in the context, we see two things. First of all, he's teaching in parables in, in this whole context. And secondly, these parables are all similar. Have you seen a similarity here? The sower and the seed, the growing seed, the mustard seed. So whatever he's saying in this text probably has to do, in some way or another, with what he said in these parables. So let's dig in and see what we can find out. Whatever he says in this text probably has something to do with God's word and God's kingdom, because that's what these parables are about. So... Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let me just—I'm not going to read all the parables, but he said in chapter four, verse two, he said he taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching, he said, "Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and you know, you know that that whole parable. We're not going to get into that, but just notice that the farmer was sowing seed, and and this parable is about God's word." You you might even want to write that somewhere on your notes. It's about God's word. And then look with me at the parable of the growing seed in verse 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. And and he talks about that parable. But he says, this is a parable about the kingdom of God. And then in verse 30, again he said, what shall we do? say the kingdom of God is like or what parable shall we use to describe it It, it's like a mustard seed and so again we're talking about the kingdom of God alright so you would expect watch this this is where it gets interesting you would expect that if he's talking about the sower and the seed and the growing seed and the mustard seed that this text also must have seed in it but it doesn't let me show you what it says what he says verse 21 He said to them, Do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand no wait a minute, minute. I thought we were talking about seeds. We're talking about the sower and the seed, a growing seed, the mustard. Why aren't we talking about a lamp? So let's read it. Do you do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed instead Don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away." that's what caught my attention. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, we've changed stories here. We've changed emphasis here. Why are we suddenly talking about a lamp? And what does it all mean? Well, the lamp that Jesus was referring to probably looks something like this one. I got this in Israel several years ago. This is a replica. It's not a, by any means, an old lamp. It's just a replica of what the lamps looked like in that day. You would uh, you would put olive oil right here. You'd fill the lamp up with olive oil, and then there would be a wick in this little opening right here. There'd be a wick, and, of course, you'd like the wick. The wick would suck up the olive oil, absorb it, and, and that's the kind of lamp that they had. So the lamp used in Jesus' day was this clay dish filled with oil with a wick in it, and he asked a question about the lamp in verse 21. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl, Or bed. Instead, don't you put it on a stand. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that sound familiar to you at all? About a lamp and hiding it and a stand? Does does that sound familiar at all? To Anything else that Jesus said? Let me give you a hint. This was not the only time Jesus used that expression. About a lamp and a stand and hiding it. But it's interesting that each time he used that illustration, he applied it differently. Which kind of thrills me as a pastor that even Jesus had his favorite illustrations. You know, he had his favorite go-to story. Uh, we got some preachers here tonight, they know, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you got your favorite stories, you got your favorite illustrations, and, and you tend to work them in here and there, wherever you can. And even Jesus had his favorite stories, he had his favorite Illustrations. Apparently, he liked the illustration of the lamp and hiding it and putting it on a stand. Uh, let me show you what I'm talking about. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is probably the one you're most familiar with. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he says, verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. So in this particular text, Jesus uses the illustration of the lamp and hiding it and putting it on a stand to say, listen, you're the light of the world, and your light should not be hidden. You're the light of the world. And then, let me show you another one. Luke chapter 11 Luke chapter 11, verse 33 and 34. Luke chapter 11, verse 33 and 34. Here's what he says. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye... It's the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But when they are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light, no part of it is dark. And if it will be completely lighted, as when the light of a lamp shines on you. So in this illustration, he says your eyes are like a lamp to your body. Same illustration. Totally different application. Then we come to the third one, going back to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. This, I believe, is an illustration of the Word of God. Because, again, look at the context. In verses 1 through 20, he's talking about the Word of God. He's talking about the sower and the seed. And and he says very plainly, the seed is the Word of God. And so this is a story about the Word of God. Watch how it unfolds. What he's saying is, Okay, here, I told you a story about the Word of God. Now let me tell you what you need to do with it. You see, you have to connect this text to this one. Let me tell you about the Word of God and what you need to do with it. And when you use the Word of God, it will be like a growing seed within you. When you use the Word of God, even the smallest can grow large. The smallest thing of faith can grow large. So, let's see how... He works this out. Look what he says in verse 22, or verse 21 and 22. He said to them, "Do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear it, let him hear. Jesus said, "Listen, you never light a lamp and then try to hide it." You light the lamp because it is meant to be light. Now, we've got to tie this into what he's just said. He's talking about the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God. And here's, I think there's a place on your notes. Jesus used the illustration of the lamp in this context to say that God's Word should have a prominent place in our lives. It's like putting a lamp on a stand. The Word of God should have a prominent place in your life. Read verse 22 again with that context. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. God's Word is like a light. It's like a lamp. It's not meant to be hidden from you. It was written for your benefit. Written for your benefit. I think there's a blank there for you to put on your notes. God's word, again, look at the context. Sower in the seed, talk about the word of God. Here he says God's word was meant for your benefit. Whatever was hidden, look what he says. Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. You, You need to see that phrase. It's meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. In other words, the word of God is meant to be your light, your lamp, it was written for your benefit. Remember what Psalm 119:105 says? It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. For over 2,000, 2000 years, millions of people have viewed the Bible as a message from God, and rightly so. We can't see God, but what a special thing it is that he has left us a written record of who he is and how he wants us to live. The Bible is God speaking to us. And put this on your notes. Over 2,600 times the writers of the Bible claim to speak or write God's words and not their own words. Over 2,600 times the writers of the Bible claim that what they are writing is God's words, not theirs. Chuck Swindoll said this, he said, God's word is for you, my friend, not just for the theologian or the pastor, it's for you. There is no situation that you can't face if you're really serious about spending time on a regular basis in the book of books. And so, we need to move to our main text. That's just preliminary for what he says next, verse 24. Consider carefully. This is where I got the title for the study. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Consider carefully what you hear. Now, if we're reading that and we're really paying attention, we we'll saying, say, oh, wait a minute, don't you mean listen carefully? No, that's not what he says at all. He does not say listen carefully. Put this on your notes. Listening is passive Listening is passive. Here's what I mean by that. Put this on your notes. You can listen and never do anything with what you hear. So Jesus didn't say, now listen carefully. Jesus used the word consider carefully. The Living Bible translates it this way. Be sure to put into practice what you hear. Be sure to put into practice what you hear. You see, the lamp is for your benefit, so consider carefully what you hear. Look up here, look up here. The lamp or the seed is for your benefit, so consider carefully what you're hearing. Consider carefully what the Word is saying. Consider carefully how God is speaking to you. Think about how God is speaking to you. Respond to what God is saying to you. Don't just listen, because listening is passive. Consider carefully what God wants you to do with what he said. And you see that written in the Old and the New Testament. Somebody find Joshua 1.8 for me. Joshua 1.8. You could read that for me. Joshua 1 8. Isn't that amazing? You know what he's basically saying? He's saying, consider carefully what this law says. So that you can, Brad, doesn't say so that you can do what's written in it or something to that effect. Yeah, so you can do everything that's written in it. And then you'll be prosperous. You know what God is saying there? This light, this lamp, is for your benefit. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And in and, and Joshua, he says, listen, this is for your benefit. So the sower goes out to sow the seed. Consider carefully what you do with it. In the New Testament, there's a reference like that in the New Testament. Somebody read Romans 15.4. Everybody can look it up, but somebody read it out loud, uh, Romans 15.4. Everything written in the past was written to, does it say, Joe, to teach us? Yeah. So that we can have hope. It was for your benefit. It is for your benefit. So with that context, I want you to see what Jesus said in verse 24 and the first part of verse 25. It's, this is where I, I had to underline it, it's where, or highlight it, and so I, had, I had to park and say, oh, wait a minute, what, what, is, what is this all about? Consider carefully What you hear, he continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Interesting what he said there. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Has this ever happened to you? Everybody just look up here for a minute. Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever... Have you ever gone to the Word of God and you're using this? Lord, I got my open windows, and I hope you speak to me today. And there's nothing wrong with open windows, but I want to tell you, that's just a little spoon right there. Lord, I got my open windows. I want you to Lord, I'm kind of busy today, but I'm going to read a verse before I go out the door. And so with the measure you use, he says, that's what you'll get in return. That's the way it'll be measured back to you. Here's what... Here's the reason we have problems. We want to use this and get this kind of results. Right? Well, I just don't understand why God's not speaking to me. I don't understand why I can't understand the deep things of God. Maybe, Maybe this verse is actually being lived out in your life. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What if, everybody look up here now, what if this is what you used? Say, said, Lord, I'm digging in. I want, I want to understand, I want to live it, I want to know it, and, and I'm digging in. I may not understand it all, I'll probably have questions, but I'm digging And, and he says, okay, let me just tell you, the measure you use this is what will be returned to you. Little effort, little return. Strong effort, big effort, big return. Which one of these do you think Billy Graham used? His was probably bigger than this, wasn't it? And and I don't pretend to know why God used Billy. There was just something amazing about God's hand on Billy Graham. Not trying to, but I read something right after he died, I read something about him. It was intriguing. Somebody basically asked him what the secret to his spiritual life was, and he said there's two things. He said the Bible says to pray without ceasing, and I do that. And he went on to explain how he prays without ceasing. And that's, a, that's a whole other sermon. Then he said, and the Bible also says to search the Scriptures. And he says, so I do that. So what do you mean, search the Scripture? And Billy Graham, this is what he said. He said, wherever I am, in my home, in my office, if I'm traveling, in my hotel room, He said, wherever I am, I try to have my Bible open. And the the guy who wrote this article said, I I happened to look over his shoulder, and sure enough, on the corner of his desk, his Bible was opened. He said, wherever I am, I, I keep my Bible open so that when I walk by, I can stop, and maybe I just read a verse, or maybe I read a whole chapter, or maybe it's two chapters. He said, sometimes I'll just spend a few minutes, and sometimes I'll spend a couple of hours. He said, but throughout the day, I try to leave my Bible open so I can come back to it and just read it and study it and learn from it and absorb it throughout the day. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Yes, sir. What does it say? I guess the reference was there about using the word and trusting the word? Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, let's apply this to the apostles before we start talking about us. Let's apply this to the apostles. I think what Jesus was saying to the first audience who heard this for the first time, I think he was saying to them something like this, Guys, you, I'm calling you to share the light with everyone. But you can't give out if you're not taking in. Try to give out without taking in, you'll wear out. If you try to give out without taking in, you'll find yourself stuck. You, if you try to give out without taking in, you'll just be in a rut. So he says, so guys, I want to make sure you understand this. I want to make sure you get this principle. The measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then there's three other words there. What's the next three words? I want to live in the even more, don't you? I want to live in that in that frame and even more. William Barclay calls this the law of increase, and I've Put a place on your notes there just to take some notes as, as you see fit. The law of increase. And he says the law of increase is basically this. Uh, the, the more you know, the more you're capable of knowing. That's the law of increase. The more you know, the more you're capable of, of knowing. For example, you can't learn the richness of a foreign language until you've mastered the alphabet of that language. Once you've learned the basic grammar, you're ready to gain even more knowledge. Uh, Robin and are here are here to my left uh, there are missionaries in Thailand, and they're going to be going back uh, and working on their language. And What is just is it called Thai is the Thai language. Have you got the, the, the alphabet down yet, Rob? I know Nicole has. Huh? Got you got the menus now. Nicole's, <laughs> Nicole's got the alphabet and basic grammar, and she can speak it, right? See, you married way over your head, brother. But he, he can speak some of it as well. But my, my point is the law of increase is you've got, you've got to know before you can increase your knowledge. And the more you know, the more you're able to increase your knowledge. And the more you know, you can increase your knowledge. It's the law of increase. This is true in running. The more you run, the farther you're able to run. The more you, tr- you train, the more your body will be able to do. The, it's like playing an instrument. The more you master the basic techniques of playing a guitar or the piano, the more songs you're able to play. That's the law of increase. And I think the law of increase is found in the Bible as well. I think that's what Jesus was saying here. Those who apply his teachings will enrich their lives. Uh, when you respond to the truth and try to live the truth, you're going to be able to receive even more more truth. Let me show you something in the book of James. Open your Bible. Go to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves Notice what it says. Do what it says. Underlying that, if you haven't already, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself and goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Notice this. He forgets. Notice that word. He forgets. He forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what? He'll be blessed in what? In what he does. You see, the truth of God's Word is clear. Our ability to understand is limited. But as we obey, we sharpen our our vision of who God is and what God expects. We increase our understanding of who God is and what God expects. It's the law of the increase. The more you do, the more you understand. That's why sometimes people say, I, I, just, don't, I just don't get this. I just don't understand this. My question is, what are you doing with what you do understand? The big question. What are you doing with what you do understand? If you're in a rut that you can't seem to get out of, I think this is where you need to start. Don't just listen to the Word. Don't just read the Word. Live it. If you will consistently do that, you'll, you'll start to experience the law of increase. I, I just can't tell you how practical this is. How practical it is to say, okay, what if tomorrow... As you're reading the Word, you look for one thing to do. You look for one thing to put into practice. What if you just did that on a daily basis? I think what you would find is you would find the law of increase. The more that you do in God's Word, the more you begin to understand God's Word. The law of increase. But I want you to notice back in our text, uh, in verse 25, that there's also the law of decrease. And this is kind of fascinating to me. Verse 25, whoever has will be given more. That, that, that's the law of increase. What, if you have, you'll be given more. But then he says, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. The law of decrease. Let me put that in current day language for you. Use it or lose it. See, when you do little or nothing with the truth of God's word, you tend to lose what you already know. That was a powerful statement. I hope that you grabbed it. When you do little or nothing with the truth in God's Word, you tend to lose what you already know. This is so easy to illustrate. Raise your hand if you took French or Latin in high school. All right, Donna, say something in Latin to me. Oh, say something in French. Say something in French. What does that mean? (laughs) Those of you who raised your hand, did anybody over here raise your Y'all, French, Latin, anybody? French, Latin, you're, you're afraid now, right? All right, here's, here's my point. You took it, you learned it, you knew it, but if you don't use it, you lose it. I took Hebrew and Greek for years, college and seminary. I barely remember the alphabet now. You say, well, how do you get up there? and say, well, the Greek word, I got study books. You know, I look it up. Do you remember some of you were with us? when we, Do you remember when we ran as a church family? Some of us ran a 5K. We build up to that and we ran a 5K. I, I did that. I, I ran a 5K. Only time in my life. I, Lisa ran a 5K. She won her age group. She did. We got the medal to prove it. She hates it when I do that. We ran a 5K. Some of you ran a 5K. Folks, I couldn't run five minutes now. That's just honest. I just couldn't run five minutes, much less a 5K. If you don't use it, you lose it. I I used to play the guitar. Well, to be more honest, uh, I had a guitar, and I knew some chords, and I could play a song or two. And now my fingertips are soft. I don't have calluses and only know part of a song. It's the law of decrease. We tend to lose what we don't use. But here's the part of this verse that puzzled me. I can understand whoever does not have even what he has, that, that you might lose it, but that's not what it says. It says, even what he has will be taken from him. That's the part that puzzled me. We don't just lose it, it's taken from us. And and what does that mean? It's taken from us. And who does the taking? Well, Watch this. Remember that this text is tied to this text. The teaching is connected to what Jesus said in the parable of the sower. And if you look in verse 15, I think you'll find out who does the taking. In uh, chapter 4, verse 15, here's what it says. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Takes away the word that is sown in them. If you're in a spiritual rut, the stuff that you used to know about God and the stuff that you used to know about the Bible, probably some of that is kind of slipping away, isn't it? It's almost like spiritual amnesia. It's like you start to confuse the people and the places and the things of the Bible that you used to know. The spiritual truths that, you used to, that were used to be obvious to you are kind of a foggy memory now you're thinking, was that in the Old Testament? Was that in the New Testament? W- who said that? And, and everything just kind of gets foggy. The Bible is the means that God uses to complete us and to mature us and to grow us. And when we neglect to act on what God teaches us, as we read the Word, we're setting the stage for Satan to take that truth out of our lives. Understand that? Setting the stage for Satan to take that truth out of your life. Now, the reason I know this is true is because I've seen it in my life, but also I've seen it in Scripture. Would you go to Hebrews chapter 5? Two Scriptures I want you to consider carefully as we close tonight. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 11 through 14. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word. Watch this. All over again. Why why do we need to teach it all over again? Could it be because Satan has stolen the Word that was sown? Could it be because they didn't use what they were learning? They didn't put into practice what they were learning? And it was taken from them. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. If anyone lives on milk, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but the solid food is for the mature who by, watch this, by constant reading. Is that what your word says? No. By constant what? Use. By constantly putting this into practice, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. They benefited from the Word, not just listened to the Word. And the the way that they benefited from the Word was by constant use. And those who don't constantly use God's Word are those who need the elementary truths taught to them all over again. parable the sower and the seed. The last one I'll show you is in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Ezra. Book of Ezra, which is right before the book of Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. We have a model here of the value of personal Bible study in Ezra 7.10. It says, for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. He devoted himself to three things. He devoted himself to study the law. He devoted himself to observing or practicing living out the law. And he devoted himself to teaching others to do likewise. Boy, wouldn't it be neat if his tribe increased? Wouldn't it be neat if if you decided to do that? And I'm just going to devote myself to studying the law, but not just studying it. It's not enough to hear it. We also have to put it into practice, lest Satan come and steal it away. It's interesting, as we put it into practice, it, it, it kind of puts a shield around us that Satan can't can't take it from our hearts when we put it into practice. So, so Ezra devoted himself to study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. What? Everybody, look up here. I'm going to close with this. Well, why do you think? Why do you think he was teaching others? Could it be that he understood his responsibility to be a light? Be a lamp? Maybe God wants you to do that too. You you don't have to teach on a Wednesday night. You don't have to teach on a Sunday morning necessarily. Uh, Maybe you're just going to teach somebody in your family. Maybe somebody else is going to come alongside you and say, man, could, could you help me? It just seems like I'm not getting anything out of the Word. I'm trying, but I'm stuck. I'm not getting anything out of the Word. And maybe you can say, let me tell you how you can do that better, how you can do that different. And so my study tonight is not to condemn you or to criticize you. My study tonight is to challenge you to say, you know, I've had enough of this. I think it's time for me to do this. But not watch this, not just I'm going to dig in and and study, but I'm going to dig in and live it. What if you just took one thing and you tried to live it tomorrow? And what if you did that the next day? And what if you did that the next day? I think you would find the law of increase. And I, and I love the way he says, what the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you, and watch this, and even more, and even more. I want God to be able to pour even more into my life. You've studied this, you've you practiced. Here, i got something else for you. i got some more for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for challenging me and hopefully us to consider carefully what we read and what we hear when it comes to your word. May we live in such a way that you can pour back into our lives even more. We pray that in Jesus' name.